0: diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ian and Peter Haig. And today we're going to start with an amazing work of oh, research, writing, whatever. Um, John Becker and Megan Scott, a husband and wife team. Um, John Becker, and, uh, is in the family business as he says and you'll understand when you're listening to it Uh, they worked together for nine years revising and updating this revered joy of cooking certainly a culinary classic and the result is an amazing book
1: it is indeed
0: i think if you read this and Front to back, and cook your way through it, or work your way through it. You could probably skip culinary school.
1: It's 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 so it's, it's also really really dramatic in terms of how big it is.
0: It is certainly big.
1: <laughs> so so flex those muscles. Get get yourself a copy of the Lady's joy of cooking, and enjoy and be a better cook.
0: Well, I'm I'm looking at an enlarged. Updated, revised, time spent on, enormous time spent on with testing and retesting, um, joy of cooking. I mean, it is, it is the iconic cookbook that we all were talking about sending our children off t- to their first kitchens in. And, um, we're going to talk to John Becker and his wife Megan Scott, who did this current revision, it just came out, Um, adding 600 new recipes, more than 4,000 favorites included, and whole sections that you didn't know you really needed, but actually I I could tell that that they're needed. Um, John is the great-great-grandson of uh, the original author, Irma Bombard. Um, which brings us to something that i, mean, I can 't imagine that people don 't know about it, but um, could John or Megan could you give us sort of a brief explanation of, of the history of the joy of cooking?
2: Hello. Um Megan, do you, do you, do you want to take this one or do you want me to? Oh,
3: sure. I'll do this. Um, so Joy of Cooking was originally published, self-published by Irma Rombauer in 1931 in St. Louis. Um, Irma's husband died, um, and she was, you know, she, like many women of the era, she didn't have any formal schooling. She had never been to college, um, and her, you know, her other schooling had consisted of of a lot of things like, you know, arts and music and language. Um, so she didn't really have any marketable skills. Um, and so for whatever reason, she decided to take half of her life savings, what her husband had left her, and self-publish and have privately printed a cookbook called Joy of Cooking, um, which was really interesting to a lot of people who knew her because no one really knew her as a really great cook. Uh, in fact one of her friends uh, said something like, but Irma's a terrible cook. Um, so, but what Irma brought to that first edition of Joy of Cooking was her incredible personality. Um, she was very witty and very funny and um, very intelligent, and she talked to her readers like they were peers, not as if she was a teacher. So I think she really endeared herself and the cookbook to – generation of of women. Um, And I think she shared with a lot of women that, uh, you know, she didn't cook because she loved it. She cooked because she had to. Um, So she really related to her readers on a personal level. Um, And then in 1935, uh, Irma signed a contract with uh, a Midwestern publisher, and they came out with the first um, commercially printed edition of Joy in 1936. Um, And the 1936 edition was quite a bit larger than the first edition um, by, uh, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand recipes. Um, and then Irma did another edition in 1943, which included wartime rationing information, how to cope with uh, rationing, so using less sugar or not using meat or using less meat. Um, and then 1946 edition was very similar to the 1943 edition, just without the wartime rationing information. And then in 1951, Irma's daughter Marion Rombauer Becker started helping her with the book. Um, And Marion was a much more studious person than Irma was. So Marion's focus was really on the reference information and joy. Um, So Irma brought her, you know, her personality. Marion really brought a studious aspect to the book um, and added all that reference information. And then in the 60s and 70s, 1963 and 1975, those editions were done um, by Marion with the help of her husband John. Um, and then Marion passed away in 1976. Um, the next edition didn't happen until 1997, um, which was a huge overhaul of the book um, and a lot of a lot of Joy readers kind of felt that that edition in particular lost some of the the spark that the older editions had because it didn't quite have the same, you know, the same voice that Irma had really added, um, the same personality. So in 2006, the family um, tried to revise the book in a way that was in keeping with the older editions. Um, But even then, um, you know, at least in our opinion, um, what they tried to do was, you know, sort of take it back to the 70s um, and what we really wanted to do with this new edition was update it in a really thoughtful and, and, and systematic way um, while keeping Joy's really amazing personality and hu- sense of humor, but without um, without taking it back in the past and without making it a super trendy book. You know, we want The Joy of Cooking to be the kind of book that people are still going to be using in 20, 30, 40 years.
0: Yeah, our daughter now has already put dibs on our copy. <laughs> 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 so, um, uh, it's interesting. I mean, now, uh, here we are. John is a, um, um, what scholar? And you're a, a literature scholar, right? You're a James Joyce oh, yeah. scholar. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And, and yeah. you say uh, in your introduction, underbath. people just assume that this has all been in your blood and, you, you know, but that's not how it happened, right?
2: no, no i you know I was always encouraged to just kind of um follow my muse, so to speak And, you know in other words i was I wasn't groomed to uh take over the family business i mean it was always my father ethan um you know had you know kind of a fraught relationship with the book and trying to have it published uh you know and and basically not succeeding because of being thwarted by his publisher at the time i mean throughout the eighties he he really struggled to kind of retain editorial control over the book. And, and finally, you know, the last two editions, um, I mean, they were were very successful, but again, it was, it wasn't exactly a smooth, smooth ride. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so he knew that, you know, uh, asking me to take over the family business was, was, um, it was just a big imposition. And as a result, you know, I, I was, he definitely encouraged me to, you know, kind of make my own way. Um, but as you said, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I I did an undergraduate in literature and, you know, where I was like, you know, trying to make sense of James Joyce for uh, the last <laughs> Good year of you. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then after that, I um, uh, the, my, professor, my professor and mentor uh, hired me to um, help him as an editorial assistant, and uh, together we put together... Uh, Seventeen books, and you know at that point, I really was thinking about graduate school, but um, i I don't know i I just kind of came to the conclusion that not only not only was I probably not cut out to be a public speaker slash teacher, <laughs>
0: uh,
2: but that my job prospects probably weren't the best either. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, kind
0: hated of teaching. I mean, it's not politically correct <laughs> to say that, but I mean, I was a, a teaching grad undergraduates at the University of Michigan, and I loathed it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, it's good to know that I made
0: the right decision.
1: <laughs> yeah. no, Somewhere some in, some, um, some in there, John, did it dawn on you that this was your destiny, or do you? To...
2: <laughs> well, you know, not not at first. Well, I, don't you know, forget,
0: I was... you have to. It, it got, Megan introduced, because all the references to this, um, to your marriage and to this, the coordination of this book, is that you
3: fell in love over uh, blue cheese or red uh, for cheese or something like <laughs> that.
1: Biscuits. Was, uh,
3: that was certainly part of how we met. So, actually, right before John and I met, he had made the decision to work um, work on Joy of Cooking, to work for the family business, um, which, of course, I didn't know at the time, um, uh, but I, anyway, I I bought *The Joy of Cooking* for myself several years before I met John, and really loved the book. It was how I learned how to make a, a lot of different things, and really helped me build up my skills and confidence in the kitchen. Um, so I was working in a in a bakery. And talking to a co-worker about Joy of Cooking, and he said, well, didn't you know that the guy whose family wrote Joy of Cooking works at that coffee shop down the street? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I did not, and I did not believe that that could be the case. So I went to the coffee shop after my shift and asked the barista,
2: uh, go ahead. Oh, oh. I was just going to say that Megan had come in many times uh, before, and, uh, you know, I mean... Pretty much, I, I pretty much determined that she was like way out of my league. And, <laughs> but it's funny, like uh, you know, she would always bring in these cheddar scallion biscuits from the bakery, and so that's that's what I knew her as when she came in to to, to ask. I knew her as a cheddar scallion biscuit girl.
3: <laughs> um. So i uh, I went and asked, and it happened to be John, who was working behind the counter, And he said, "Yes, that's my family. Um, and I could not believe it. and so we we had some more conversations and during that time I also established that he does in fact love blue cheese, which is important to me. <laughs> I didn't I had dated some picky guys and you know, just ended up not working out, so I wanted to make sure we were on the same page. <laughs> um, so then I asked John out on a date and we hit it off and that's how all that got started.
1: Now what was it over rogue rogue creamery cheese?
3: <laughs> oh that's, uh, a I mean, blue. that's a fantastic one. That's a fantastic one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I remember.
0: We just just got a whole slew of their cheeses, some new award winners, and I forgot how good they (laughs) are. Yeah, and and and
1: $40 a pound samples are a great thing to get. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah. no No doubt.
3: So, now, one thing you mentioned something about going
0: through, reading this book together, the two of you, and at the end of this period, which was a long period it took to do this, you realized that you could actually improve the book, because that, you know, it's an iconic book. And, and then followed that with nine years, I read, of working to oh. it together.
2: So, yeah, like, we actually, okay, so we actually started working for the family, uh, you know, about nine years, about nine and a half years ago. And, yeah, so like you read, um, you know, the, well, how we started out working for the family, we, basically did an apprenticeship um, and then we moved like close to be close to my father and um, and we just started testing recipes out of the old edition out of the 2006 edition um, and then we, we would also trace, trace when we tested a recipe we would trace it back to see when it was added to the book uh, what edition and perhaps like you know if it had changed significantly over the years we would uh, record notes on how it had changed but yeah so we, we became familiar with the book over that. Over that period, you know, uh, like in the first four years that we worked for the family, we, had, I think, we tested fifteen hundred recipes that way, um, doing those genealogies. That's what, that's what we <laughs> call these uh, analyses of like you know where they came from, uh, or when they came from. Um, and then yeah, we we actually helped a developer um, make that edition, the two thousand six edition, into a, an app for iOS for for iPhone and iPad. And, you know, after that, yeah, we started forming some pretty um strong opinions about like what we what needed to be improved, um, uh, you know, what were what we were missing, uh, you know, perhaps like some recipes that were a little long in the tooth, um that kind of thing. But well, yeah, you know, now you're dealing
0: with a, a, a whole new generation of of appliances, ingredients, uh resources, uh, all of that. Um so and it just it's, It was absolutely essential that you do that to write, rewrite it.
3: Absolutely, I mean, what is even over the past ten years, our access to all different kinds of ingredients has changed so dramatically, Um, and I think the way that we cook has also changed over time. So we certainly wanted to address those things in this edition.
0: Yeah, well, you did. How many? Just give us. A reader or listeners, uh, some sort of idea. Some of the, the sections you added. I mean, I was really pleased that you added all that fermentation stuff. And oh yes,
3: that was one of our favorite sections that we added. Um, so yeah, we did. We added a section on fermentation, um, and you know, we wanted to deal with not only a few common um, recipes. For example, we have sauerkraut, kimchi, um, half sour pickles fermented hot sauce, Uh, but we also wanted to talk about the process of fermentation. So how it works and what is at play when you're fermenting something. Um, And also, you know, how do you know when when something is done when you're fermenting? Because it's not like a normal recipe where it says, okay, cook this for 30 minutes or until it looks like this. It's kind of a more, it's a less linear process. Um, So we, we definitely, we're glad we added that section. We talk a lot about um, let's see some new things. We we talked some about using sous vide. So oh yeah, um, that's, that's kind of a yeah. I just got kind of uh, sous vide
0: thing. I'm going to have to read that. And and I have a multi cooker that totally confuses me. And you covered that.
3: Yes. <laughs> so there's a yeah, lot to Yeah, we to, want read. to do, for the multi cooker for like the um the electric pressure cooker. We don't give a ton of recipes written specifically for that appliance, but what we try to do is tell people how they can adapt recipes to use it. Um, so we're hoping that will be really useful to people to be able to take any recipe, whether it's one in our cookbook or someone else's cookbook, and use the uh, use the electric pressure cooker with it.
0: I was happy um, to see that in this book. I really was. <laughs> uh,
3: we also added gram weights. To the baking chapters, um, which we know has made a lot of folks really happy. <laughs> uh-huh.
1: When you when you say say, say like, they're like what's what's the they're like metric metric measurements?
2: Correct. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that this is like the one instance where we're using metric, and that 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 is a little bit of um, uh, it's uh, you know kind of a contradiction, I, I suppose. But um, you know, we were thinking about you know, when we were choosing between ounces and grams, it's just the whole point of um, using using a, a scale in baking recipes is not only is it, does it make for easier cleanup because you're not getting all of the uh, measuring cups dirty, but also it's, you know, accuracy. Um, as as we all know, uh, how you scoop flour can really alter the density of it, and therefore, like, you know, you might be adding too much or too little. And so, you know, in order to... Really take full advantage of the scale. We just figured that people could hit the, uh, button that switches between ounces and grams and, uh, you know, wouldn't be that much of an ask even for up, for those of us who are languishing in imperial measurements.
1: <laughs> no, 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 the, <laughs> I like that term. The, the, the thing that yeah, I thought was kidding. most interesting is the extent to which you include something about every animal, vegetable or mineral you can imagine in the world of fine food and cooking because not only do you have a recipe for lamb's kidneys, if you have beef kidneys or, or pork kidneys or kidneys for any other kind of animal, I guess, for that matter, there, there are tips in there for how to deal with that particular thing.
0: Yeah, his first thing was he turned to look for your recipe yeah, so for your so, <laughs> so So, so if, you
1: know, if, if your butcher has it on the shelf and you've never seen it before and you don't know how to cook it, it's in the book. And, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, that, give, I'll, I'll give you an example because I, cause I'll, I love to cook tongue. Now, mm-hmm. first, first of okay. all, the majority of cookbooks that you come across don't even have a recipe for tongue of any kind. Yours has such detail that after the first part of the process of cooking the, the tongue, when you have to take the skin off, you not only say you have to take the skin off, but they say t- take the skin off but do it before it's cooled down altogether, because it'll come off cl- come off much more easily when you do that. Mm-hmm. And I, and I can bank I can bank that because I I remember having trouble figuring out how to get the skin off. <laughs> so, so yeah, no, I know.
2: I, I I hope that um I mean you know I'm not going to hold my breath, but I hope that tongue uh I hope tongue becomes uh, more common. It is it is a fantastic ingredient. It's just the the flavor. Um, the richness, oh god, so good! Oh, you like yeah,
1: here's the be- here's the best thing about it. We we had a little craft butcher shop that was just a few minutes away from the house, and he he had tongue in his freezer. And guess how much you paid per tongue? Well, I'm- I mean, this is a pig, and that- this is a-, a beef tongue.
2: Um, I mean, five they tend to be pretty five
1: dollars.
0: <laughs> oh, well, yeah. He went out of business, needless to say. Yeah, but I I cooked,
1: I I cooked them three at a time. Yeah. 'Cause it's kind it's kind of fussy work, so you might as well you might as well do it in volume. Right.
0: But you yeah, also you know. included a more um broader uh, geographical uh, styles like a lot of Asian editions.
3: Yeah, we we wanted to add, you know, Vietnamese and Thai food um, are some of our favorites, and so we did want to add more of those. And, you know, a lot of these recipes that we've added are things that uh, we just really love to eat, things that we often order at restaurants um, and that we wanted to learn how to make at home. So we wanted to include those in this edition as well. Well, there's
0: there's a lot to learn. I mean, I don't know how long it would take to. This book almost is a substitution for culinary school. <laughs> yeah, if
3: you if you cooked your way through it, you could absolutely substitute it for culinary school. In fact, John and I did not. Neither of us have been to culinary school, <laughs> um, but we have cooked everything from tongue to souffles. To ice cream
0: um, and learned so much in the process. You could absolutely do that. Oh, there's so much to learn in this book. Uh, there's only one criticism that I have. Hobbs, look out. <laughs> I, I can barely read it without my glasses. I mean, the print is so oh, small. Oh, yes, it is very small. But I guess that, you know, I, if it were bigger, you'd have to do it in volumes. The funny, exactly. The funny, yeah. the funny part
1: about yeah. that is there's something, of, the, the typeface is very skinny. So I can actually read it. Oh, can you read it? Yeah, I can actually read that. I can't read New York Magazine. I can't read New Yorker. Oh, I can read those. A lot those. of cookbooks I can't read. I, I can read this with my glasses. Because the typefaces are fat, whereas yours is skinny.
0: But yeah, you know. typeface uh, is legible, really easy to read.
2: Yeah, that was, that was a, we, we made a choice to go with uh, a serif font because we thought it would be easier to read. The last edition, uh, it was a slightly wider font and it was sans serif. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it just seemed like it was, it was just a better, it, you know, from a usability standpoint. But I understand it's, it's going to be small type no matter what, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got to get but it you in. Know, the, the thing that amazed me, actually, uh, was the price of it. Um, I mean, I would, I have books coming into our house from publishers that are $70 that aren't as thorough as this. Well, it's, it's this is only forty dollars. Here's the here's the deal.
1: What they deci- they decided they were going to produce the only cookbook you would ever need.
0: Well, this is true.
1: <laughs> so, so, so it's wow. a, so it's a it's a deal, listeners. Make make your cooking friend, whoever it is, whether it's husband, wife, partner, whatever it is. This is the only book they're going to need. Right.
2: Well, you know, I mean, we, we definitely would like to think that somebody could, you know, have a lifetime of, you know, really diverse meals if they just had this book. But we're also not, not naive. I mean, we know that, I mean, they're just, the, the cookbook world is so huge and there's just, Mm -hmm. there's just such a, like those $70 titles, uh, you know, they really do have a place in many people's kitchens. But what, what we kind of envision joy as, you know, in relationships with, you know, this, this varied, um, you know, cookbook, uh, marketplace is that, you know, we're there for people when perhaps that $70 cookbook does not have, well, it just assumes too much knowledge on the part of its readers.
0: And, no, this is true. You know, yeah. yeah so I mean, we, we I, I, wrote, never- I wrote a chef's cookbook and I wrote it, you know, with him before him. And uh, I I took the, the tack that you have to assume that nobody, that everybody, the say anybody reading it knows nothing and go from there. If you know what No, I, mean. I
2: think that yeah, no. It'd be, Things that might be intrigued. intuitive
0: to you might would not be intuitive, like to you know my cousin. You know what I mean?
1: Uh, Irma, Irma's up there looking down, smiling. Smiling, yeah. She's smiling. Yes. She's, 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 smiling <laughs> she's smiling and saying, "Guys, you did you've done a good job."
0: Yeah. <laughs> and and we love talking to you too as well. And um, I, as I said. I think that this is just splendid. And when you refer to the family, it reminds me a lot of the British royal family, which they call the firm. <laughs> 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 it's your business, right?
1: Now, did, 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 did you did you borrow Missus Beaton's recipe for oxtail? I <laughs> did see it in there. Now okay.
2: we, we we have a copy of Missus Beaton's at the house, but. Um, there you
1: go. And, and yeah, no. Just, I mean,
2: it's just fascinating to go through. But uh, I, you know, the oxtail, i don't think that um, I, I, I think that dates from at least from Marion. So I'm not sure where she originally. Got her recipe for braised oxtails. She probably got it,
1: probably got from Mrs. Beaton. The first instruction I understand in the recipe is first slaughter your ox.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the first gourmet magazine cookbook edition that came out uh, for the trout recipe said, uh, "Stun, hit, hit the uh, fish in the head to stun it." <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> wow. True, yeah. You can, you can well include, we could talk to you guys yeah, forever and yeah. ever and never, but we'll let you go and and again I just I hope it just takes off and enjoy your book tour. They're sometimes fun, sometimes not. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so far so good. <laughs> you know, we've had a pretty good time. Right. Yeah, pretty,
0: thank, pretty, you, uh,
3: thank you thank you so much pretty pretty for having yours.
0: us. Oh we love it. And we love working with Carrie by the way, she's tops.
3: Oh yeah, she's great. Yeah, she's yeah, really great. fantastic. Yes.
1: And listeners, don't go away because we'll be right back with more culinary cookbook excitement.
4: Podcasting services
2: for On the Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net.
0: Welcome back, and I'm going to give you a challenge, all you listeners. Um, Our next guest, Mikey Peters, who's we've interviewed before, has a book that, again, if you want to spend a year cooking your way through it, you will find it very exciting and a lot of variation from day to day. It's called 365, for good reason, because it's a year of everyday cooking and baking.
4: Listeners, good news. You can stop that
0: question of what to cook for dinner because Mike Peters has done all the work for you. Mike Peters, you, this is your second book. We talked to you uh, about your first book, uh, which won a James Beard Award. Is that correct?
4: Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. My first book came out 2016. It's three years ago now. And it won the James Beard Award um, in 2017. And the new one just, just came out uh, about a month ago.
0: Yeah. And it's now a year of everyday cooking and baking, so that's why it's called 365, right?
4: Yes, exactly. So there are 365 recipes in the book I wanted to kind of... Um, wrap up a whole year and take a bit the pressure off, because people often ask me, um, How do you manage to cook every day <laughs> and uh, that doesn 't mean that there 's always a, a roast in the oven and three side dishes, very often uh, I keep it very simple and um, I, even i just I, I just look into the fridge sometimes or the pantry and I see hey what 's there? What can I throw together and um, the idea was to really yeah write a book where um, people find inspiration for 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 everyday cooking. There are more simple dishes during the week, and um, they 're more time consuming dishes on the weekend when we have a bit more time to to bake a cake or or to make a roast so it's uh, yeah it wraps up a whole year
0: well, you know I mean simple might be a way of saying this because they 're not superly con are complicated, but by no means are they dull. I mean, they, these are very creative recipes um, that you draw on a couple of uh, traditions or influences. You, you are um, by birth German, right?
4: Yes, I'm. I'm German. Um, I learned cooking from my mother, whose cooking is very much influenced by um, Southern German cooking, but also. French and Italian cooking, so um, through her cooking, there was already a big yeah, Italian and French influence in my cooking, and um, 15 years ago, I got together with my boyfriend, who is half American and half Maltese, Malta is um, very close to Sicily, so oh, him, see, I there was, was right,
0: I was absolutely right, I said to Peter, you know, there has to be a lot of Sicilian influence here, because a yes. lot of these recipes are Sicilian, I grew yes. up with this, yes.
4: Yes, so there's definitely a big um, similarity to to Sicilian cooking, although there are also British very uh, British influences in Morty's um, cooking because the, the the British have been there for quite a while. So it, it's it's quite a melting pot. But um, through through him and also his family, his American family and his uh, Mediterranean family, um, my 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 cooking changed. Quite, I I can't. Don't know if I can say it changed so much. I think um, there, I I got familiar with with different ingredients, and I learned about different combinations. I do cook traditional Maltese recipes sometimes, but not so often. It's really that a few different, maybe different ingredients sneaked in, and I became a bit more brave with. the way I use certain spices or citrus zest, for example, it's um, they're they're very present in um, Maltese cooking. When you, for example, when you look at coriander seeds or fennel seeds, orange zest, right. lemon zest, the Maltese use this, use them very generously, and that had a big influence on my cooking.
1: Now, do do they like marmite?
4: <laughs> we,
5: we
1: read, it's really um, We read. We read the other day that the infamous Boris Johnson does not like Marmite, <laughs> <laughs> but but the Mal the Maltese must because they're British.
4: Um, I think, as similar to all over the world, people either love it or hate it, and um, I, in our family, it's not really that present, I, I don't <laughs> I'm know <sure>. I, <laughs> we don't have it. I could tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, maybe one day I will discover my for my for my
0: cooking. <laughs> okay. Has anybody actually, I mean it's so tempting, the whole concept. Has anybody ever talked to you about starting at one end of this book and cooking these recipes every day through the year? <laughs>
4: Have suggested that already, but my my idea with the book was not so much to tell people st- start with day one and at the end of the year finish with day three hundred sixty five.
3: Mm-hmm. Um,
4: I hope that people find inspiration, and I mean I, my cooking is very seasonal, so it does make sense to to read the chapters because the chapters are the month. So now in November, it makes sense to look at the chapters. Um, of October, December, January, maybe but not so much April, May, or June uh-huh. so um, it it does make sense to kind of stick to the the chapters roughly, but there's no need to to follow the rhythm that I kind of wrote down, the rhythm of the week that I wrote down in this book. I really hope that people find inspiration and it can be a whole recipe that can be an ingredient or um, yeah, whatever sparks people's interest. Or maybe they try to become a bit experimental as well when they see that I combine two ingredients. Maybe it, they feel inspired to do the same. So that is what I find also more interesting in um, cookbooks, but also when I talk um, to other people about recipes. For me, it's not so much about um, copying a recipe. It's really um, learning these little these little things in, 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 in recipes and maybe using, for example, I, very often I talk to my mother on the phone about my cooking, about her cooking, and um, sometimes she just tells me how she combined two ingredients maybe that I wouldn't have combined, and that's what I find.
0: Um, well, I, can, I find this throughout the book, that there are things I would never have thought of. I'm looking at preserved artichokes with pink grapefruit and duca. Oh, that's amazing. Where did that come from in your
4: head? This I can't tell you. <laughs> I, don't, oh, I never you know me. where they come. I never know where they come from. I mean, I for me, cooking is fun. It's something that I enjoy a lot. It's one of the few things in life where I don't feel any pressure. So I just combine what I think might taste good, and then I try it. And when it tastes good. It ends up in a book or on my blog, or I, I mm-hmm. tell people or friends about it. So it is. Um, people often ask me where exactly it comes from, and I, I think it's maybe similar to our composer feels who, who can't really tell you where where his or her music comes from, and mm-hmm. that's how I feel with recipes. I, I, I sometimes I just look at a grapefruit, and then my my head starts coming up with. A salad that you just mentioned, combining it with preserved artichokes and sprinkling some dukkha on top. And
1: now, do you, you do you go to that wonderful Turkish? Is it Turkish market in Berlin?
4: <laughs> you know what? It's so embarrassing. I've been living in Berlin for fifteen years, uh-huh. and I never went oh, for fifteen. Wow, for fifteen, I've been to lots of markets, but this particular one, which is in Kreuzberg. And I think we spoke about it three years ago. I, I, so never, I never went. I've, I'm in this area quite often, but oh. it's, uh, the market is on a Friday. So somehow I never happen to be there when this market is it's a, happening. It's, so. a,
1: it's a big crowd, I can tell you. It's <laughs> big, yeah. <laughs> anyway.
0: so, uh, here's, the, here's another unexpected one, because uh, Peter likes to make latkes. But he does yes. it traditionally. Uh, with the, uh, he has this box grater and his potatoes. Um, but yours is potato, celeriac, and carrot latkes with smoked trout dip. How oh. Absolutely luscious! That sounds.
4: <laughs> <laughs> so, I in my family, um, latkes are very popular. Um, I actually, I um, I grew up in in western Germany and in, in the Cologne area, and latkes are very very popular there. Mm-hmm. My 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 grandmother used to make them. And um, she also, sometimes she even sprinkles them with sugar. Or um, there's a, a mm-hmm. famous German sugar cane uh, syrup. It's very thick, dark, sticky syrup, and she, you can also eat this with the latkes. So um, I kind of I got used to seeing latkes as, some, as something where you can get a bit more experimental with, and. Um, I I wanted to have latkes in this book, but I thought, okay, I I just I'd like to become a bit playful with it and try out try out a different dip that my grandmother, for example, wouldn't have added, and yeah. Then one day I had the idea to to make this smoked trout dip, and it yeah, tasted other, really good. The other one really,
0: that the one that really startled me was um, your raw oysters with mint. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but that is um. That is another example of um, how beautiful it is to talk about food with other people, to meet people who who cook for you. Because I was actually in France in, um, in the Medoc region, and um, one day I went to Cap and I met uh, a woman there who runs uh, an, a restaurant that is... Um, ...specialized on oysters. They're basically just oysters and wine, I think. Yes, and um, yes, yes. she told me or she asked me, did you ever try oysters with mint? And I told her, I never... I, I drizzled some lemon, fresh lemon juice over an oyster, but that's it. I don't, I don't do anything else with an oyster because I want to have this pure right. taste of the sea. And um, I tried the mint and it was spectacular. It was great. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's so simple. It's the oyster. It's the mint. And it's just great. And I love it when this happens, when you have two ingredients and they just hit the spot and that's uh, it.
0: I'm doing that one. That one's a, a winner, I'm sure.
4: Just so. use <laughs> a tiny bit of mint because mint is very, very strong. So it's important to really have a t- or start with a, little, a tiny piece and then you can add a little bit more if you like.
0: Right. I do um, mint with parsley and garlic for artichokes.
4: Hmm, that's nice. That works
0: Brazilian. really well. Yeah, Yeah. refreshment, uh, Yeah, That sounds really good,
4: too.
0: Can you characterize, you said it was um, pretty much a melting pot, but Gozo cuisine. Malt- Maltese, eh? Maltese, cuisine Maltese. Maltese cuisine, rather, I'm sorry.
4: Um, Maltese cuisine is, um, like I said, it's similar to, to Sicilian cooking. You... Um, it's it's especially in the summer months there is a lot of seafood there's um they have amazing vegetables um they love to barbecue so very often you have just whole fish on the barbecue, you have zucchini tomatoes, and you just have a bit of olive oil salt and pepper, and that's it um but they're also they love their pies, so Maltese people are really really obsessed with pies yeah my mother Um, was
0: and she she was sicilian and and we had we had fresh pies constantly and i can't make a pie to save my life
1: (laughs) well my my
4: my
0: people do pies too yeah
1: (laughs) english
4: (laughs) no they have they have these um they have sweet and savory pies Uh um but um the ones that you find at every street corner are the ones that are filled with ricotta because Maltese people love ricotta. Yeah, we so you. you have find a lot of recipes with ricotta. And um, there is one that's, um, it's, 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 um, how's it called, it's shortcrust pastry, like pie pastry, mm-hmm. and it's filled with a lot of ricotta and it's uh, called asata, and it's something that people just buy for for lunch, for example. Uh-huh. And there's another version where it's wrapped in um, in flaky um, in, in puff pastry, mm-hmm. and then it's it's the pastizzi. So um, yeah, the the pies are, are quite a, quite a quite present in in, in more of these cuisines. But then also stuffed vegetables, because the vegetables are, are – or in general, the produce is so good there mm-hmm. um, that, um, yeah, you have, for example, stuffed zucchini, stuffed uh, stuffed tomatoes. Either they, they stuff it with vegetables or, or again, with yeah, ricotta.
0: I, I've done this, and, you know, somehow I always start with, like, eggplant, and then I have leftover eggplants so and then I stuff um, – Peppers, and then I have yeah. leftovers, and I stuffed zucchini, and then I have leftovers. It's called the it's, it's
1: called the never ending
0: the never ending stuffed vegetables. <laughs> stuffed vegetables. Yeah. We have no, a chef a... friend that's that, uh, is Sicilian, and he just wrote a whole book called Stuffed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that,
4: um, no, it's um, it's especially the the older generation. Um, it, for them, it was a very, it was a very typical um, traditional dinner or lunch to have the stuffed, stuffed vegetables. So um, uh, my my boyfriend's grandmother, she she still does that, oh, yeah. and um, I really love it. It's a bit, it's a bit more work. That's why a lot of younger people don't feel like doing this anymore. Uh-huh. But it tastes so good, and the great thing is you can just you prepare it. A really really large baking dish and you can eat it for two or three days and Mm -hmm. you can have different fillings so it's 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 quite an exciting thing
0: now the the thing that was the biggest clue to me that about the sicilian influence was um, nobody else ever writes about this we always had when we had spaghetti um, and uh, meat or meatballs or pork or chicken or whatever it is with a, a red sauce, it was finished always with a big daub of, of ricotta and parmesan. Yeah. And yeah. you have a recipe. I mean, I was really surprised to see that because I've never seen it anyplace else, the ricotta with the sp- red sauce spaghetti. Yeah,
4: it is. Um, like I said, ricotta is so present in, in, the, in the cooking there in, in, in Malta. So um, I knew I needed to have I needed to have a few ricotta recipes in in my book, and um, the one with um, where you have spaghetti and ricotta and orange zest and sage, for example, it, it's such a quick dinner that you can easily prepare after a busy day of work. So it's it's a, we we always have ricotta in our fridge. Yeah, so we that used is something. To, yeah that you can use for 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 so many different recipes and it's it's really quick to prepare or in my last book I had a recipe with orange zest uh, with lemon zest and bezel and parmesan so it's um it's it's a really it's a great ingredient to create these quick quick um, yeah, it's, afterwards. it's good you
0: know, in omelets too Yeah exactly exactly it's true, now, true. When,
4: when,
1: No when when we were in Berlin we noticed I guess the start of a movement towards more more modern dishes, but still a lot of the restaurants were best known for their schnitzels, <laughs> schnitzel <and> the <laughs> ones. Now, where 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 are you? Are your are your recipes more traditional or more modern?
4: They're creative oh. though. <laughs> okay, I movies. think I think some of my recipes are traditional, and then I don't really do much with them. For example, there is one recipe in the book for beef roulades, the famous German beef roulades, mm-hmm. um, and they are filled with with pickled gherkins and, and bacon, and um, that's a recipe that my mother always used to make when I was a child, and that's a recipe where I don't feel like I have to be super experimental with it it's it's good as it is or the latkes for example i mean i i play a bit with the dip what i add have on the side but the the recipe itself for the latkes is <coughs> Sorry. the recipe itself for the latkes is, is is it's quite traditional so there are some some um, dishes when i think about it it's often meat dishes where i feel I, I just stick to I stick to tradition. My schnitzel, for example, is a very traditional German schnitzel. So it's um, there are with I think with okay. I think with um, I think with fruit and vegetables I tend to be more experimental. Maybe what we would say modern, uh, more contemporary cooking. And with my meat dishes, maybe I'm a bit more yes, that's traditional. True. Yeah
0: here's one more and just have to I know we're I'm going through all these recipes with them so fast' with them but this is such a stunning photograph too your beet and ricotta donuts with pistachios
4: <laughs> I love it and yeah, you, yeah, you see this is something that, that came from or that I that I found in America because um, it was one of my last days when I was in America um, I think it was three years ago and um I went to that food market together with my editor from Prestel, and there was this stand, and they had these stunning beet donuts, and uh, I, 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 had, I bought one, and it tasted so good. Although there it was a fried one, and I'm, I might be the only person in the world that doesn't like fried donuts. So much, I, I, don't like find, fried,
0: I don't like I'll fried. I find them so
4: so heavy. So um, I decided, okay, I want to recreate this this recipe, this dish. But um, I, I'm not going to fry them, but you could also fry them. It doesn't matter. But I love the, the these, they have this bright pink glaze of oh, the yes. bean. And then, again, the ricotta. Iron. It's a really nice combination.
1: Well, now, you, you've got 365 recipes, listeners, to work from. But but just just in case you're running out there, Mikey, you also have a blog? <laughs> yes. Go, go, go ahead, re- read it into the interview.
4: So yeah, the the blog is um, it's dot com, and um, that's where I that's where everything started with this with this blog in two thousand thirteen. I decided to um, yeah to, to 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 start my own blog, and um, in the first year I sh- I also shared one recipe every day, which was kind of the original idea of this. Or yeah, I think while I wrote this blog in 2013 sharing a recipe every day maybe somehow subconsciously I already had thought maybe one day would be great exactly. to do the same in a book but that was how everything started
0: well Nike congratulations on this one it's a very exciting cookbook Thank um, you very much oh yeah a year of everyday cooking and baking and its title is three hundred and sixty five obviously let's
1: and let's read it let's read into the program that we we congratulate your country on thirty years of the war coming down
4: oh yes yes and, <laughs> yes, uh, and, yes uh, it's um it was um a very emotional emotional day. And our, sec- is, our um, second,
1: our second favorite German re- German restaurant is Tim Rowey's, yeah. just, <laughs> just around the corner Asian. from che- just around the corner from Checkpoint Charlie.
4: <laughs> I went, I went. Finally, I went two years. I think it was two years ago, and we were totally impressed. It was oh, an amazing marvellous. night. Marvellous. It was. It cost a lot of money. I know, <laughs> I don't it's know if I will ever do that again. But it was. <laughs> it was
0: amazing. It
1: was. Expensive. It was. It was so, was so funny. They've they've been climbing the world's fifty best restaurants. They're solidly in the top fifty now. And I can remember having lunch there, and uh, Missus Rowey served us and bust our tables. Yes, she
3: did. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so oh
1: we're, 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 we're due to go back to Berlin we'll just have to check with you and find out if, if that's the season of the year when you're going to be there <laughs> in, in, the me- yes. in the meantime I mean, in
4: always, always hop between these, these, my two worlds my Berlin world and my, my Malta world and we don't really have a strict uh-huh. schedule I mean we tend to be more, more during the, the warmer months because we love snorkeling and uh, we love being at the sea when it's warm but for example in a few weeks we're going to go again so it's, it's constantly back and forth which is a great gift
1: well thank you for thank
4: you Mikey it's good talking to you you again thank you so much (laughs) thank you so much thank you very very much for having me
2: podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station www.aspstation.net
4: Well, here we go. We're uh, having our final segment.
0: Um, it's, this is an author who really had a good time doing her research. This uh, is Vicky Benison, Benison, um, who wrote a book called Pasta Grannies.
1: And can you can you imagine what country this recipe's come from? <laughs> there. The- there, there is no, there is no prize, but there is a prize for listening because you're going to pick up a lot of very useful information if cooking pasta is one of your not one of your top things to do.
0: Vicky, uh, you in all regards actually are sort of an unexpected celebrity. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, um The mission of Pasta Grannies is to
5: celebrate um, women of a certain age and their pasta making techniques. I'm not used to being in front of the camera or the focus of attention. I wanted the spotlight to be on my grandmother's, uh, Mm -hmm. but inevitably, um, in promoting the book, I've had to step out of the shadows and talk to people. Here I am. Thank you
0: for inviting me. Yes.
5: Now, listeners, this is Vicki
0: Benison, and and her book is called Pasta Grannies. And uh, the mission of your book you described to me, I thought was uh, just putting it very concisely. The mission of the book
5: um, is to celebrate women of a certain age um, and their pasta-making techniques. Um, I only, um, on the YouTube channel... Uh, film women who can make pasta by hand using a rolling pin or just their hands, depending on the pasta.
1: Now, the grannies you're talking about in your book are Italian grannies, though. They're not British grannies.
5: Yes. So the story is um, that I'm lucky enough to have a home in Italy um, in a region called Le Marche. And I noticed that, in fact, it was only older women who made pasta by hand. Um, that younger women are all too busy going out um, to work and they still rely on their nonna or their mother or their aunt um, to make pasta for them. And I thought, someone has to make a record of this. And um, because pasta is such a physical exercise, um, I thought it was best suited to video. Um, And so YouTube was the place to put video um, and then I realized that if I was going to do that, I had to have an audience. <laughs> so I started <laughs> taking this more seriously. Um, and there I had uh, the beginnings of a YouTube channel. So you've been um, working
0: on this for five years now.
5: Yeah, so it's taken sort of five like years uh, time, to get where, to where I am now. So it's taken a lot of persistence.
0: It is like one granny at a time, right? <laughs>
5: Yes, um, how we work is that we decide on an area, um, so it could be Liguria, for example, and uh, we go, right, well, we know that we want to film Trofia and Panzotti, um, right. for example, they both appear in the book, um, uh, and then we try and find women prepared um, to be filmed making it. Uh-huh. Um, and to help me, I have someone called Livia de Giovanni, who's my granny finder,
0: a <laughs> um, granny finder. That's wonderful. <laughs> yes, I was impressed. You pay these these grannies for their time too. Yes, I do. I mean, it's not it's not uh, you know huge quantities because I, I have a shoe
5: string budget um, doing this. It's a, it's not a it's not something that actually makes me money. Um, this exercise so. I'm doing it for love, not a profit. I
0: I, I love two things. One, you said that you wanted to celebrate the, the women that made this pasta for love, not for profit. And then the other thing is you said you wanted to, please, please, let me find you before you die. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely
5: true. Whenever we hear of a, a 90, over 90-year-old, 90 we, we think oh, my goodness, you know, when can we see her? Um, uh, you know, can it be as quickly as possible? <laughs> but the good news, uh, these women are so tough. <laughs> yes. But by the time
0: they've got to 90, they're going to keep on going. Yeah. It's, it's <laughs> funny that what? one is 95 that you have in your book from Sardinia. Um, the, I mean, that's a blue zone, isn't it? They live already. Uh, uh, yeah. Yes, so, so in Sardinia we have several...
5: Um, over 90s Um, so in the book there's Giuseppe um, who is now 97 Uh
1: Um,
5: and uh, she's one of my favorites because I love her twinkle she's got a great twinkle in Uh her eye and she's still cooking and she's still learning. Um, when we went back to photograph her, we showed her a video of another pasta um, from Sardinia that she hadn't actually seen before. Oh. So she instantly started making it. Oh, <laughs> how wonderful.
1: I, I remember one time, one time we were having l- Sunday lunch in Abruzzo, in Abruzzo with, with the family that made various products. I think truffle salt was one of them. And, but but the, the, the mother of the house and her mother, the, the, the granny didn't come out of the kitchen at all no all, all, the, all they did was send out mountains and mountains and mountains <laughs> and mountains of food it was the and forum, meal and, yeah. they, and, and they never appeared it
5: was. that's right yeah. that's right um, it's, it's, they're very happy the grandmothers are very reluctant to step out and take center stage they're, they're happiest in the shadows kind of um, as you say <laughs> making piles of food <laughs>
1: well they're also making what everybody calls sunday gravy right
0: Yes. <laughs> no, you know, I I've spent a considerable amount of time in Italy and around Italian food, but you have shapes and types of pasta in this book that I've never even heard of. For example, do you remember? Oh, I mean there, no, I don't remember specifically. I could okay. There's in. some very um
5: interesting ones I think. Um, so the one in fact that I'd I had never heard of until I actually filmed it. it was Laura Guitas, for example, which is again in Sardinia.
0: Right. Um, uh, of course, kind of, they've been um, over history a little cut off from mainstream Italian developments. That's it. right. Yeah. That's right. They have quite a Spanish
5: influence, I feel, yeah. because you also get um, in Sardinia things like um, empanadas. Oh yes. Uh, uh, right. Um, and the way they cook the pasta, they, they, um, you know, when they, they. Um, it, it reminds me a bit of Fidius, Um from you know the Catalan area of pasta. Oh, right. It feels, it feels kind of, there's a sort of similarity. Um, uh, it's kind of has closer associations, I feel, to Spain rather than to Italy. Now,
1: do, do you do you have Jacob Kennedy's book of all the pasta shapes? You remember that uh, one? Yeah,
0: I remember that. It's, that was it's, a good book. It's, Such a simple it's, idea. It's, it's I never thought of it. This is a London. Which book was that? Sorry? it's called The Geometry of Pasta. Oh yes, yes. Um, you... There's also a very good one called the
5: Encyclopedia of Pasta. Okay, yeah, we well, uh, can't remember her name offhand, but it's um, an excellent book. Although well, she does it in um, alphabetical order rather than regional. Uh-huh.
1: Now, Jacob, um, Jacob Kennedy's restaurant is right near, what used to be the old Windmill Theatre. That's just,
5: right, just, to
1: just, just, away, just away, just away, just away from uh, Eros, just away from Piccadilly Circus. And he, That's he,
5: right.
1: Yes, and he has a gelato shop across
0: the street.
5: Mmm, delicious! One of the best places in London, I think, for ice cream. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> now t- tell tell us the the process of this. You you find uh, I'm, I'm looking back um, to, uh, to to my grandmother, mm. and of course she never um, she never had a digital scale. She never you know weighed or measured anything. <laughs> And she never wrote anything down, and so I was trying to get the recipes. Which you get the recipes from these uh, grannies from the uh, Nonna. Um How did they? How did that work? Because they don't actually think like that.
5: No, they don't. No, they do. They rely very much on feel when they're making pasta, because flour is a, its not a living thing—but it behaves differently depending on the humidity and the temperature. Um so you know, they don't they're not too bothered about um weighing out the eggs or the water or whatever. Um so if you film enough people you you end up being able to judge um how much is being used. Uh-huh. <laughs> of flour, for example. And then you have to go away and test it. Um so that's what we did with the book. Uh, is um yes. and uh if it was difficult what we also then do is kind of stop and say all like, right, let's just see how many
0: tablespoons that is. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, the, so here's so the outline of this book. You interviewed how many uh, knownness? So on the YouTube channel, I have over 250 women.
5: Um, in the book, uh, we selected um, 75 recipes. 70, 70. Um, and we tried to do um, a selection of um, difficulty First thing, that there's, there's a mixture of easy-to-make pastas as well as ones which are more challenging, like tortellini, um, and also um, a mixture of regions, um, although the book is organized by ingredient rather than regions because we felt that was more user-friendly to sort of say, we, I want today I want to make a meat-based pasta mm-hmm. or today I want to do a, a bean-based pasta. That's more useful than saying, today I'm going to cook something from Abruzzo. Um, Okay. And so so that's how it's organized. Um, so you give the
0: story of the granny and then you, you, you describe the, the pasta and you give a recipe for it.
5: Yes, yeah, so um, all the recipes have an introduction um, and it's attributed to the grandmother who made it.
0: Um, you said that actually that you, you don't think that with things like slow food and so forth, that when these um, grannies pass on, that the actual pasta uh, form or, or, or type will, will die. Uh, but you think that the level of expertise, the sophisticated techniques uh, will... Yes, yeah, yeah. Go ahead.
5: Yeah. Um, so these women, um, 90% of cases were learning to make pasta from the age of five. Um, we have examples of grandmothers who, um, made pasta, um, before they went off to primary school, for example. Uh Um, and uh, when you can make pasta like that, you don't, you know, the muscle memory on that is so fantastic. Um, the way that you can roll out dough and a, a lot of women in Romania, for example, they can roll out dough in a perfect circle. (laughs) Um, And this was considered to be um, essential uh, um, for uh, being marriageable material If you couldn't make pasta, you wouldn't get married
0: (laughs) And the (laughs) mother-in-law would be the the future mother-in-law or potential mother-in-law would be the judge
5: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly And in fact, uh, one woman, Rosa, actually um, was tested by her father-in-law Uh-huh I'm, I' mean, i could see
0: that well <laughs> my,
1: my 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 sister who ma- who married a mr benson had had to learn mrs Benson senior's cookbook b- b- before
0: she was allowed it to was marry a, her son
5: uh, oh yes yeah well change thank goodness
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know just this is a little bit aside, but uh, you, you know about tour i'm sure huh. Yeah. Well, um, you know, he has a, a son, disabilities. I think um, some developmental disabilities, and so he has set up in Modena a tortellini factory yeah. for all of those people like that, so that they will be able to actually make things tortellini. Did yes. you know that?
5: That's a marvelous initiative, yes. Yeah, we, yeah. We, um, it's on our list. We're going to try and see if we can film
0: that. Oh, great. Um,
5: hmm.
0: That's great. Great, yeah. Now, um, you, know, you, you were worried about these people dying. Um, I have one little story of uh, uh, this woman who was a chef at a major architectural site called Falling Order. Um, it. She was writing a cookbook about her experiences, the chef there, and I kept urging my friend who was co-writing it to speed it up, speed it up, speed it up. As she went into her nineties, I was getting very worried about this. Well, um, (laughs) she, Elsie, just now, Elsie Henderson, just now celebrated her hundred and (laughs) sixth birthday.
5: Oh my goodness. Incredible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't make pasta
1: though. She doesn't make pasta. She used to make no. cake. Didn't no. she used to make still cake? Still
5: cooking, which is the most important thing. Well, for me, if uh, women are over ninety and um, still cooking, I, uh, you,
0: to be honest, I don't mind if they make pasta or not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but now, what do you think uh, the the uh, effect of, of your work with this has on on, on the whole culinary scene in Italy? Well, I think Italians
5: aren't so interested in the overview of Italy. Um, They're very regional. So if you show pasta videos um, of Calabria to someone from, uh, you know, Lombardy, then they're not, they kind of go, you know, it's it's like a foreign food. It's a very different um, approach and technique. Um, So their appreciation of pasta grannies has kind of been slow, but it's, Starting to become more popular in Italy, and in fact, I'm shortlisted um, for an award um, okay. set up by Corriere della Sera, one of the Italian newspapers. I'm going to Milan next week to see if I've won. Oh, <laughs> well, great. I, great. Oh, I'm, Congratulations.
1: I'm sure you should win.
5: <laughs> oh, uh, well, um, I think it's very good to be shortlisted. Um, I expect the home
0: girl will win. <laughs> oh, oh, there's the home girl. Okay. But, um, no. We'll oh. see. Okay, well, is, is there anything else we should know about pasta, grannies, Vicky Benison? Um,
5: I think the most important thing is to enjoy the book, enjoy the read, and to have a go at making pasta. Um, pasta is about having fun. It's about uh, making um, some shapes um, with a family, with your friends and uh, not to get too worried about the rules and regulations. Have a go, and if it doesn't turn out quite right,
1: give it another name. Oh, oh. Give it another try or something <laughs> like that.
0: <laughs> Just have a go. <laughs> if a nine-year-old can do it, so can you. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you, Becky, for coming on and talking Absolute to us. Absolute pleasure. And much success you. with your book, which is wonderful. Thank you.
1: Okay, listeners, so the, so there you have it. And, uh, Another on-the-menu episode in the can, as it were. And we hope you'll join us again, same time, same place. Until next week, it is what time?
0: (laughs) Bye-bye.